Well, Bill Belichick is the defensive coordinator of the Giants. And one thing you learn as a defensive coach, you learn to draw upside down. And then all your guys watching, you draw all the plays and the formations that they do. This guy is a very good coach. And they're talking about him as a possible head coach in the National Football League this year. He's only 38 years old. Welcome back. New year. New you. New UT. Hey, this is the new year. I hope you guys have some good resolutions. If you're the kind of person who does resolutions, it's always good to draw up some guide signs and some 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 north stars for your year. And uh, I hope one of those things is to maximize what you're doing with your home, whether that's through a refi, taking out cash and using it judiciously in other areas of your life. You're buying a new home and taking advantage of the lesser competition during the winter. You got to give our sponsor, Gabe Winslow, a call. He's awesome. He's been with us from the start. You can reach him at 832-557-1095. He is phenomenal for all of your needs. He's incredibly creative. He's a very sharp guy. He's got a law degree, but he's not a lawyer, so you can't hold that against him. He actually decided to do something productive with that degree and help people. And uh, he's phenomenal at what he does. He's a cut above the average mortgage broker. And he has a hundred different lenders he can choose from to leverage the best possible deal. Just give him a call. I, I can extol his virtues. You're not going to know what the options are until you give him a call. He's not going to give you the hard sell. It's going to be informative and he's going to try to help you out. You can reach him at 832-557-1095 or go to mortgagesbygabe.com. Kevin, you know, as men, we tend to think that we're supposed to know everything. We're supposed to know how to survive out in the woods with a hatchet and a piece of rope. We're supposed to know everything about mortgage refinance. We're supposed to know everything about stocks and bonds. And the, the truth is we don't really know. And we usually end up asking our father or someone else in our lives that we think knows. And they may not know either. So give Gabe a call. He's an expert. And uh, he can really give you some ideas that – there's a lot more available to you through the world of refinance or even in purchasing a home and how to structure your debt in a very advantageous way. So you won't know until you call 832-557-1095. Kevin, happy new year, man. Happy new year, man. Uh, what'd you do? Do you uh, spend the night in San Francisco? No, I went up to an area that's in the foothills. It's called Motherlode. That's the area of California. It's the foothills of the Sierras where the gold rush first happened in, in 1849 that's pretty hence cool the, hence the name the 49ers i brought my son and uh had some friends come up we stayed at a house up at sutter creek right at the snow line and so we could drive five minutes and be in about two feet of snow and then we could drive home and walk around with the dogs and look up at brilliant beautiful stars there's no ambient light out there and uh, no snow on the ground at all. So best of all worlds. And we had a quiet new year. We cooked some good food and uh, basically just played games, played crazy eights and checkers and Uno, Scrabble, all Uno. that kind of stuff. And, and had a great relaxing new year. What that, about you? That sounds great. Went to a, uh, a more of a day party and was asleep, was falling asleep, I guess, as a ball was dropping central time and had a couple friends text me which kind of woke me up, texted him back, and went to sleep. So it was a good day, and then spent the uh, the next day just kind of watching watching football. Yeah, well, you know, I haven't. I don't know if I've opined on this on the podcast, but uh, I'm famous for my New Year's Eve is the worst holiday take among my friends because I despise New Year's Eve, generally speaking. Yeah, like I, the, the I traditional go to a party, yes, drink a lot. Yeah, like I, I despise the party. Have you seen more girls like sitting on a curb on Fourth Street crying in their black party <laughs> dress with mascara running down their face? That doesn't happen in Thanksgiving. No. Doesn't happen in Halloween. Doesn't happen on Christmas. Doesn't happen on Arbor Day. But New Year's Eve, there's always someone having a bad time. Right. Maybe Valentine's Day, but it doesn't it doesn't touch New Year's. You're right. There's always someone crying. There's always someone who's distressed and and kind of losing their losing their crap a little bit. I I I just never understood you you overpay to go into these places. I would see it in New York City. It's like, oh yeah, two hundred dollars a head. It's like this place is free to get into any other night. Why and why would yeah, I pick this night? For that two hundred dollars, 
you you are shoulder to shoulder jostling in a giant sausage party and you get like a free glass of champagne at 11:59. Yeah, right. My best times, my best New Year's parties have been at someone's place. That's me. I want to get out somewhere in the country or at someone's place just chilling and having a good time and like doing something low key, having a few drinks, eating good food, watching a little football. That's I'm it. down. That's it. Yeah. And not shoulder to shoulder like you were saying. So, yeah, it was cool. Uh it was a it was a Hyde Park party, so you can imagine there were a Hyde lot of Park. a lot of Volkswagens, a lot of virtue signaling. Uh, did you show up wearing your biker pants, biker shorts? Well, I did, just to fit in. Good. Yeah, no. I I no, I, I look like Lance Armstrong finishing uh s- some some race. I had all these tags on and it looked like I was official. Had a syringe sticking out of your arm. Exactly. No, it was good, though, because it was fun, and it was during the day and kind of got into the night a little bit. But, I mean, I, I doubt anyone was there at midnight. It was like, all right, let's go home now. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. The, the great thing about what I did is just virgin snow. It's so beautiful. Like, it's so fun. Yeah. You take, you take, you take little kids and dogs out into snow, and you rediscover a love and appreciation for it. And the beauty of it is it's not like urban snow where it's filthy, you yeah, know, two days later. That's slutty covered, snow. Yeah, it's covered in mud and exhaust and, you know, it's human filth. But you go out in the country, up in the, the Sierras, and it's, you know, you have a huge winter storm. And there's just a foot and a half of snow and little kids are going crazy. We, went, we found an old playground in a park. And so we were sliding down the slide, and the you know, slide was buried in snow. We got one of the dogs to go down the slide. It was awesome. Nice, yeah. You bring a dog into virgin snow, though, and it turns into slutty snow pretty quickly. Yeah, that's true. Promiscuous uh, you know snow. We, we had our conquest, and we left. <laughs> I bet you did. That sounds great, though. Glad you enjoyed it. And, look, there's been so much talk about these bowl games don't mean anything, and there's no doubt. I mean, if, if you if you are as old as Paul and I are, then you remember when there were 17 or 18 of these things, and 14 to 15 really meant something, and or maybe even 12. And so there's been a lot of talk about how it just doesn't it doesn't feel the same, and that talk is right now. Whether there are solutions or this is just kind of where we're at in society right now. It was good to see some actually pretty entertaining games last week because it started to get hot, and we're not even talking about the playoff. We can get in the playoff games, but those were boring and ended up being somewhat predictable. But there were some really fun games, Big 12 teams included. Well, back in our day, bowls were named after produce. Yes. Not, not Cheez-Its. They were named after commodities. Right. Uh, no, you're right. Well, the polo and weed eater bowl, there's always yeah. that. The Poulan Weed Eater Bowl was when it all started downhill. Right. All right. You want to talk about some of our Big 12 brethren? Yeah. All right. I did not. I must confess. I watched about a quarter of this game, but it was Texas Tech getting all up in Mississippi State. Mike Leach not able to exact his revenge on the administration in Lubbock that ran him out of town on the on the on the fatuous Adam James uh, tool shed lie. Uh, but Texas Tech, with their third-string quarterback, opened up a big can of whoop-ass on Mississippi State. Did you see any of that game? Is there anything worth mentioning? If yeah, not, we can move on. I watch most of it, and, yeah, I mean, I, I was kind of I, – I rarely root for Mississippi State or an SEC team, and that will continue when Texas goes into the SEC. But, and, but I also rarely root for Tech. But in, in this one, it was kind of one of those where I thought, you know what, with Leach, they still owe him, what, 2.5, 2.6. I like Leach. I wanted him to get some revenge, and it wasn't happening. Mississippi State was – so every game we get into, we're going to have to mention, because this is an ultra-strange year to where there's not only what I referenced earlier, which is – is more of a broad scope and is not going anywhere, and that is guys that just don't want to play in some of these games anymore and opt out. And then there's also COVID and the coaching carousel and the transfer portal and HIV. No, no, I mean, it, it, <laughs> it feels like, you know, there's all these things. So there's all these really big components that go into this dish. And so almost every game we talk about, we're going to talk about guys that weren't there that really – turned some of these games into shootouts that maybe weren't as great of games as Prisoner of the Moments 
want to think. In this one, Mississippi State's missing two defensive linemen, big-time defensive linemen. And Texas Tech with Sonny Cumbie, who's going to La Tech, says, you know what? We're going to go ground and pound. It, it was the most physical Texas Tech rushing performance, maybe outside of a James Gray uh, or Hansbard type performance back in our childhood that I've seen. I mean, they ran the football. They had Brooks, and then uh, Sir Roderick Thompson was back, and they alone got about 200. They got 260 on the ground, and yep. that first drive, they went right down and took it to them. So Mississippi State, on the flip side, got very Mike Leach. This was the bad example of everything we've seen with Leach in our lifetime. He just completely abandoned the run, and then you had a couple of Texas Tech guys that started teeing off with their ears pinned back and got after Will Rogers. This was a blowout, man. Defensively, they teed off on him and knew they were throwing, and offensively, it was a physical Tech team. Will Rogers never met a DB he didn't like. <laughs> I knew you were going to – I knew something was coming with that. Yeah, you know what's crazy is uh... – you know, Leach really is 1.0, spread 1.0, you know, and, and we're right now, we're around three or 4.0. Right. And I like Leach. I respect him. I, I actually think he's still a good coach, but it's a very basic version of the spread. And if you're in the Big 12, you're used to seeing higher permutations. And you're right. One thing that struck out to me was Will Rogers threw the ball 53 times, completed 32 for less than 10 yards of completion, 290 yards. Anytime you're a quarterback and you're averaging less than 10 yards of completion, unless you're 18 of 18, it's no bueno for the for the overall offense. Yeah, no, you're right. They kept everything in front of them, and so they abandoned the run, but then essentially they were running the football, just throwing it, and it, it was not nearly enough. So good showing by Tech. Tyreek Wilson, I believe, is is the defensive lineman at a couple sacks, junior out of San Antonio. So if he's back, he was very impressive. But, um, yeah, a blowout win for Texas Tech. I'll tell you what game I did not watch really any of, so maybe you can help me out with, is Minnesota-West Virginia. Minnesota won 18-6. to Ugh. I'll give you the highlights because they played a game from 1982, basically. Uh Jarrett Dagey is terrible. How on earth did we lose to that guy? Because I, I talked nonsense. I talked noise about how awful he was all year. Then we play West Virginia. Texas loses because and Dagey has like one of his better games of the year. And people are like, oh, what do you think about Dagey now? And like, he still sinks. He sucks. Uh, that's how bad our defense was. That's how bad our game plan was. And Minnesota just dominated on defense. Uh, Daigie was 18 of 31 for 140 yards. Speaking Oof. of less than 10 yards of completion, Ugh. no ability to get the ball down the field. Minnesota was much more physical. PJ Fleck led Minnesota to a nine, four season. Which, yeah. Hey man, that's high cotton up in Minnesota. And, uh, the highlight of the game was that they had a six foot nine, 300 pound at uh, 380 pound lineman score a touchdown, Minnesota. All right. And that was by the way, the guaranteed rate bowl. Uh, some sort of uh, fiasco mortgage company. You guys know where you to get the best guaranteed rate. I, well, they should have dumped uh, a bunch of mortgages on people. Yeah. <laughs> the losing team has the to losing assume, coach has to assume a default note on a, <laughs> on a tenement building in Cleveland. Oh, my God. Hey, did you, speaking of that, did you see the Mayo Bowl? We're not going to get into this one because we're talking about Big 12 and we're talking about good bowl games, but 6-6 six and six South Carolina and 6-6 six and six North Carolina and Mac. No, I saw none of it, but tell me Mac did something defensive and, and whiny. No, this is the Mac we love, actually. This is the, oh, good. This is the Jim Mora Mac and the Mac that exaggerates like like Barney Fife overacts, you know, but, <laughs> but like in, in a real funny – uh, funny, personable way and a lovable way. And so pregame or, or a couple days before, you know, they're doing some press conferences for the game. And because it's the Mayo Bowl, they wanted to know for charity if the winning coach would allow them to be just dumped and doused with mayo. And for charity. Mayonnaise? It, yeah, mayonnaise. It's for, okay. it's for charity. Um, did you, is Mayo, is that not common where you're from? Uh, well, no, there's, there's guys that get covered in Mayo here, but it's oh, right. <laughs> mayonnaise, mayonnaise, the product. Yeah. 
All right. Um, and, and so Shane Beamer's South Carolina coach said, well, I really don't like mayonnaise and, but for a W, I guess I'd do it. And Mac getting back to the Jim Mora thing, you know, I just want to get a first down. Yeah. I'd, I'd cut my leg off to score a touchdown. Mayonnaise. No. Mayonnaise. <laughs> You're right. So Mac said, he said, Look, I'd be I'd get hit in the in the face with a frying pan for a W. I've got no problem with that. It's great. So was there an actual mayonnaise dump a la Nickelodeon goo? Yeah, it was it was on Shane Beamer because South Carolina won. Tough year for Mac. Finishes six and seven. They were top ten. It's the second ACC team ever to be preseason top ten and finish with a losing record. Well, half the teams lost in college football. That's how it is, Kevin. You know, I know. Who wants to criticize? It's it's the man in the arena that counts. But Mac did not get the mayo dump. Shane Beamer did, and it's disgusting. I like mayonnaise. I I've run into people, and I've had I've had a couple ex girlfriends, probably why they're ex, who just hated mayonnaise and and it couldn't be around it. And I, I don't understand what the big gross out factor is, but I don't want all that crap dumped on me. The, the double entendres are all presenting themselves. I'm going to try to take the high road this new year. Um, and in, in so doing, let's talk about Oregon, Oklahoma. Bob Stoops takes over for the treacherous Lincoln Riley, who's gone out west, abandoning the Sooners, leaving them in tumult. And the Sooners romp against uh, what appears to be have been an overrated Oregon team. And uh, at the end of the game, Kevin... I had a little tear because Bob passed on the visor to Venables. By the way, the guy he fired for his own brother. I know. Earlier. I love how that wasn't in the storyline. I was hoping that'd be in the opening, but it wasn't. Um, no, that's, you know, they tend to neglect those little uh, little political moves. And, you know, I, I bet Venables was a little bit torn that that guy was handing, was passing him the visor. Yeah, no uh, no joke. Uh, hopefully, Hopefully Mike Stoops will be hired back on, but I doubt we're going to see that. Yeah, o- Oregon is incredibly beat up. It wouldn't have been so much COVID, um, it, but it's an incredible, incredibly beat up team that also wasn't great to begin with. They were a really good team early on in the year, but so defensively, they had a lot of holes. I'll give Oklahoma credit, though, and Caleb Williams credit, too, because they went after him, and Caleb Williams looked fantastic. They also really ran all over him, and that was the key. Yep, absolutely. Um, hey, did you watch – the defensive struggle between Clemson and Iowa State. I did. Yeah, I I saw snap uh, basically pieces of it. I was watching it in a in a pub eating a big burger in Sutter Creek, California, and uh, it was just it was a defensive struggle. Clemson has a great D. They got a pick six off of Purdy, and that basically swung the game. Yeah, really what it was is it was kind of a microcosm of both teams this year. And you know that I was on Clemson pretty early on because at that point people were saying, well, Clemson preseason too. I thought, hey, this could be a playoff team. I thought they would be a playoff team because that's the way it's been. But very early on, you could tell a game in, but that was Georgia. But then the second game, it was, whoa, watch out. Like this offense is bad this year. And they were bad. They got a pick six, as you mentioned. So, both offenses struggled. The biggest question, it's two disappointing teams, but I'll give Clemson credit. They're disappointing and won 10 games this year. It's only disappointing relative to what they've been doing the last five or six years. But Iowa State, much more disappointing. I mean, for them to finish what they did where they finished 7-6 and six on the year. That's right. There was preseason talk about them being in the playoff, which was crazy. And I, we told you that on the pod. But for Iowa State, they looked, you know, they kind of looked like they did this year when they had problems, which is why they finished seven and six. And a lot of it goes to Brock Purdy. A lot of this was an assumption that Brock Purdy was going to build off that freshman year, and he just declined a little bit each year. He's pretty average. It, it was almost a James Brown career. Wow. Where, you know? Yeah. Flashes as a freshman, like, oh my God, sophomore little decline and then each year just you know for James Brown it was more he wasn't used properly he was he was basically a spread quarterback you know 10 years before his time but Purdy just never materialized and people were really talking him as a as a first round quarterback before the season yeah I mean really this was two 
and you you can look at the two programs, those two quarterbacks, different classes, but guys who had been anointed, or at least there was a thought that that they were going to be the guys who could be first round type talents, and that was Brock Purdy after his freshman year and Ui Ungalale after two games last year. And neither guys are that good right now. Now, DJ has more time. Brock Purdy kind of is what it is. But DJ was average, and he was average all year. Klubnik may go yeah. win that thing, man. He's going in in the spring. No doubt. Hey, you know, you and I have touched upon one of the most important attributes a head coach can have, particularly at an intermediate program or a lower-tier program, is timing. Did Matt Campbell mess up the timing when his star was at the highest? Yes. Yeah. No, he he did, because that would have been probably even a couple years ago. But this offseason would have been the time, and th- or this offseason, and then last offseason would have been the perfect time. But, yeah, all these jobs open. You know, he doesn't have an agent, and I, and I know that he's dead set on Ohio State, Notre Dame, or, you know, and, and maybe Michigan. And maybe Michigan opens up. There's a rumor that Harbaugh's looking at the Bears job. We'll see if that or happens. The or the Raiders, right. So, We'll see if that happens, but those are the three jobs he wants. Ohio State's not opening up anytime soon. Neither is Notre Dame, so you've got Michigan left. It just seems to be kind of picky for, you know, or and maybe he hasn't been offered a, one of those big jobs that he really wants outside of the Lions. Yeah, I tell you, a guy who mastered the timing, and people were questioning it last year, was Billy Napier. Yeah. Because – He's at Louisiana. He has a great year last year. People are saying, all right, get out while the, the, the iron's hot. He's like, nope, I've got all these returning starters. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to have a better choice. Because the thought was, hey, Napier, go take a middle tier job, right? And just get out of there. And he's like, nope, nope, nope. I'm holding out for one of the, the top 10 or top 15 jobs. Louisiana performs. Of course, their only loss, strangely enough, is to Texas. They go 12 and 1. And Napier parlays that into the Florida gig, which is, you know, a terrific job. So talk about a guy who Matt, who, who nailed the timing. Uh, you mentioned that Notre Dame may not be coming open. Kevin, they keep losing these big games. Why do they keep losing? Up 28 to 7. Michael Mayer going apeshit. Jack Cohn making his case for the Heisman. Crushing Oklahoma State. And they can't stop Spencer Sanders. Well, you know, it's funny you say they keep on losing big games. They, they've won 10 in a row, and they've been on the streak, so they've obviously been winning some big games, right, well, Paul? Or, game are, 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 you just for, are you just forgetting those? Well, the game you lose is the big game, Kevin. This is Notre Dame. Well, that's true. That, that is true. Uh, yeah, no, that, that was a tale of two halves, and I, I, watched, I watched as much as I could. I was actually doing stuff, and it kind of goes to show you. I mean, I obviously wanted Notre Dame to win, but – just watching this stuff, it only means so much, and maybe that's kind of the invention of the playoff. But tough, tough loss for them. They wanted to get the Marcus Freeman show started right, and they did for a half. And then, from what I could tell, kind of fell apart in the second half. Good adjustments by Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State was just kind of that team this year. Texas knows that. I mean, my two teams had leads on them where you felt like you're going to get a W, but Oklahoma State just stays in the fight. And Notre Dame did not make good adjustments, so – Maybe they can learn something. It's one game in, so obviously you're not going to go prisoner of the moment with any crap about, uh, I, I didn't like that. Maybe that's not the right hire. If you're doing that, then then good luck day to day. But, yeah, t- tough loss, man. I mean, uh, well, props to Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State and Baylor really showed out for the Big 12 in, in both bowl games. Well, and, and both teams, and we'll touch on Baylor in a moment, talk about two teams that maximized. No doubt. These guys are, they've got some players, but they're not loaded by any means. Paul, Paul, if you're doing National Coach of the Year, I mean, you really think about this. If you're doing National Coach of the Year, so so that some of that goes with expectations, you could very easily go one, two, Dave Aranda, Mike Gundy. No doubt. I mean, if you you want to look at what they have. So, what about Kirby Smart? What are you going to do in the SC? Kirby Smart, Nick Saban? Great job, but we know what they have. There's no one else in the SEC you're probably going to throw that at. Big Ten, Jim Harbaugh would be right there, and I and I get that. So Harbaugh would be in that in that crew. But Pac-12, I mean Whittingham, I mean those those two could be your top two. 
Talk about related to something that Texas fans are very invested in right now, which is the portal. These were two teams that really bettered themselves in the offseason with the portal. Uh, Oklahoma State got their top receiver, Tay Martin. Yeah. And they got their running back, Jalen. Jalen Warren. Uh, both portal guys. And they, they also picked up a starter on defense. I mean, Baylor, and we'll talk about their their crushing of Ole Miss in a second, at least the defensive crushing. They got two starting offensive linemen out of the portal. And they got a starting nose tackle. And those players were really key to their run. So talk about coaches who not only coached up their football teams, but really judicious, smart use of the portal. I didn't watch a lot of Baylor of Ole, Ole Miss. Now, hold on. I, I want to finish on Oklahoma State and Notre Dame. Oh, please. Go ahead. Because uh, you mentioned Sanders. And that would be my biggest issue with that game. The fact that he goes for almost 400 bills, four touchdowns. does not throw any picks. Um, I know Notre Dame didn't have Kyle Hamilton. but that that's got to be that's got to be fixed and also Spencer was able to run uh, to go with Warren in that game so Tay Martin's a real deal Presley I think it was Presley killed them um that was that was just two distinct calves so props to Oklahoma State man they're, they're one of those teams that they just don't get enough love well and, and to that point and I was I was trying to move on as a being a nice guy so you didn't have to talk more Notre Dame. Well no, the offensive line needs to get better too cuz they had no run game. Jack Cohn threw for 509 yards, man. Yeah, he threw it 68 times. Right? Yes, I know. I mean that, that, that but the offensive line's been an issue all year long. It had gotten better a little bit. I think it goes to show you that Oklahoma State defense, man, they were they were just solid this year. I mean, even though they got torched in the first half, they made the adjustments and bowed up. You know, it's exactly what we saw against Texas, right? Right. Yeah. You know, Texas came out and was doing a nice job on offense in the first half against Oklahoma State. Casey Thompson throws that pick six, and then all of a sudden Oklahoma State defense just dominates in the second half and, and gets the win. Same adjustments. Jim Knowles, talk about, you talked about Gundy and Aranda should be head coach of the year, serious candidates. Is there any question that Jim Knowles should be D.C. of the year? Uh, talk about a maximization. DC the year, but the big question is, and I'm once again, I'll throw Baylor and Oklahoma State in there. Who is your Broyles assistant of the year? Because at that point, I'm looking at someone who completely turned around an offense in Jeff Grimes yeah. or Jim Knowles. No doubt. Well, so let's, you ready to talk a little Baylor Ole Miss? Yeah, let's do it, man. And, and this is a game that, um, so Kirk Herbstreet was on game day. And was yesterday, and so they're doing a game day before they get everything rolling. And I guess he and Desmond Howard. I wasn't watching it, but <clears throat> Twitter exploded because they said that that uh, with all the opt outs, it's really changed everything. And that when they played, kids cared more about more about football. And so, yeah, I mean, uh, roughly speaking, I'm sure there's, I'm sure it was a little bit more in depth. At least I hope so than that, but. Matt Corral later on that night, of course, ends up injuring his ankle. X-rays are negative. I don't think it's going to affect much. So people that are flipping out saying like, oh, my God, you, you know how much money you cost him. We'll see if that's the case because Corral was a questionable first rounder anyway. But Corral goes out, and this is one of those where this is just football. This is not those four or five big elements that I talked about that are changing these bowl games. That really changed the tenor of this game when Corral goes out. Oh, no doubt about that. Um, Baylor just – Ole Miss fell into some predictable passing situations. Baylor just brought some really creative blitz packages and ended up with 10 sacks. Yeah. With Terrell the, Bernard was with, a terror. He, with the freshman Jaylen, quarterback. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, he, did, he couldn't get the ball out. He wasn't seeing the field. And they just opened up the, the floodgates. But, you know, Matt Corral threw a bad interception as well. True. Um, and Jalen Petrie, phenomenal game. Talk about a, a, an impact safety. And Baylor just had these guys that just made plays all year. And this defense came up huge again, just like they did in the Big 12 title game. And they, they didn't get anything out of Jerry Bohannon in this game. They basically were scared of him, sort of like when they played Texas. And they just handed the ball off to Abram Smith, the converted linebacker, Abram Smith. He had 172 yards rushing. And Baylor had a, a pretty compelling win over Ole Miss, 
uh, 21 to 7. I think a lot of the, the so-called smart money had Ole Miss in this game. Yeah, they did. And obviously Corral going out, who knows what this would have turned into because a lot of those sacks, the freshman quarterback who hadn't played at all, as you mentioned, just holding the ball too long, really couldn't see stuff down the field, was looking at one read and then just looking to run. So, um, you know, to be honest, kind of ruined this game, but I'll give ba- – it doesn't ruin Baylor's season. And, and I said it – I think I said it to, with you on the radio. This is probably their their best year ever. They won the most games they ever have, so you get that. You win the Big 12, and you win the Sugar Bowl. I don't care how you do it because that wasn't their fault that Corral goes out. Then the, Baylor's never had a better year than that. I've, I've never seen a better – yeah, it's the best year ever. Uh, give him a lot of credit. You're right about Bohan. I mean, 7 of 17 for 40 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Average 2.4. I mean, they were staying away from that. To be that one-dimensional with a hand tied behind your back, which they kind of were all year long, shaping through some good balls in the Big 12 championship game, but especially in that first half. But in Bohan had a couple throughout the year. This is who they were. It's been really, really damn impressive, man. Abram Smith, you're right, to turn him around. It's um, They got who's the LSU Samoan defensive tackle who's just it just picks up two blocks and it's just owned the middle. Uh, Saka, yeah, all year long. And, and so that's hitting the portal pretty, pretty uh, effectively as well. You know, we've talked about it. The portal has some good stuff in there. I just think it's it, it's – even more important that you evaluate at that point because they're going to be more of a finished product than an 18-year-old that you're thinking about putting 40 pounds on. Well, speaking of that, Kevin, for my gratuitous over-the-top point that I always like to say, do you remember Connor Galvin as a recruit? Connor Galvin. So Connor Galvin is the tack, starting tackle for Baylor who was the Big 12 offensive yeah, lineman of the okay. year. Yes. First team all Big 12. Connor Galvin badly wanted a Texas scholarship offer, but, and he was a four-star recruit, but he's, he's about six, seven. And in high school, he was about 260. And the thought was he's too skinny because he's athletic. He's mean. He's got all these attributes. He's six, seven, you know, kind of hard to, to coach length. And he's got good feet. And the thought was, no, he's too skinny. Well, Connor Galvin went to a college strength and conditioning program and he ate food. And now Connor Galvin's six, seven, three, ten, And he's the big 12 offensive lineman of the year. Man. So as you said, packing on 40 pounds, look for the attributes. Don't worry about the body weight. Yep. We talked about that with Ethan Burke, who definitely has put weight on, but yeah, I mean, I, I when you said Galvin and then I was like, yeah, it's the Baylor guy. I don't remember him as a recruit though. I didn't realize he wanted that Texas ride, but hopefully that's something that, that flood them are looking at right now speaking of a guy who didn't get a ride from texas and also tore up uh his bowl game did you check out ohio state at all oh god that's so hard to watch like that guy i mean it's not that ohio state came in and won jackson smith in jigba in jigba it's texas didn't even recruit him tom herman and those guys didn't think he was good right and if you watch his high school film he was unstoppable. Of course he was. He's unstoppable in college. He has been all year long. Yes. He's been playing with two other first-round draft picks. And after week five, as much as I love Garrett Wilson, and I do, and Olave is like Chris Carter, same school. Yep. He is His body awareness, the way he adjusts to the ball, his ball awareness, his, he's got good hops. He just after understands the after the catch, Olave's great. Olave's the third best. Wilson's probably the second best, and Garrett yeah. Wilson's a freak, and Jigba is different. How the hell do you not offer him? Well, and Jigba is so frustrating because he's a, a mini college version of the guy I see in the Bay Area, Debo Samuel, who's mm. basically a monster wide receiver with great body control, and he will flat run your ass over if, if you don't make good solid contact on him. Um, a little bit like the LSU guy who's killing it in the NFL. Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase. So, hey, I'm watching as we're doing this. I've got the game on in the other studio. And Chase had a – it was like a 10-yard hitch route. I'm kind of looking through paper, so I think I, I, I've got it right. But it was like a 10-yard hitch route. And in the NFL, you never see this. You don't see this in college that much. Guys are closing in from every angle. 
and he just beats him off vertically and goes like 70. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that doesn't happen at the NFL level. And in fact, if you catch it in a crowd in the NFL, you kind of take a dive, right? Yeah. And guys like that just turn around, face up, and run through the tackle. And you're like, oh, my God. And that's what Njigba does. And it's amazing that not only – I mean, if you take one of those guys and put them in Steve Sarkeesian's offense – we have a different year just off of offensive scoring, right? To, a compliment to, to Xavier Worthy. And that's the imperative for the portal in this offseason. Do you want to talk about the playoffs at all? Hold on. I'm sorry. I'm laughing because as we're talking, Chase just had another long touchdown streaking down go. the sideline. Well, all, But think about the wide receivers that from the state of Texas that Texas and Texas A&M missed out on. Jalen Waddell, Jackson oh. Smith and Jigba, Garrett Wilson. Um, I know I'm missing a couple other people probably. I'm sure. I try to put it out of my mind. Yeah, I know. Um, but anyway. Well, Terrence Marshall from LSU. That's that's true. Um, but oh, Utah, Ohio State was also one of those. So they had their starting tailback, Utah did, playing cornerback because they've had so many injuries with the secondary. And obviously some of that's on them because, I mean, if it's just injuries and not – all these other things coming together and three guys out with COVID or whatever, then that's kind of, or two opt outs. That's kind of on you in terms of how you've set that up. But it, it, it was a joke. Their secondary going up against uh, Ohio state because Stroud's so good, but in fairness, understand that that was a really banged up Utah secondary. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, Utah. I mean, man, Ohio state still hasn't figured it out on defense. Utah was able to move the ball. Old, old Texas quarterback Cameron Rising. Yeah. Throwing the ball, throwing the ball, gets gets banged up. They have to replace him with a walk-on, and Ohio State reels him in, and just the better team won. It almost felt like a an old Texas Mac Brown bowl game where you're playing an inferior opponent, you go down early like against Washington, and then you have the big rally as sort of talent asserts itself. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, Cam Rising was the best UT quarterback all year long. <laughs> he was. Yeah, You're right. Yeah. He's within the constraints of that offense. He was the, you know, the move the chains guy and and Mr. Reliable. Um, he was a stabilizing force for Utah. It's interesting. All right. What else you want to hit here? Well, we want to hit the playoffs. Alabama, I mean, there's nothing to cover here. It was not unexpected that they handled Cincinnati. Uh, a convincing win, even though it wasn't, you know, quite as, uh, I don't know, you didn't see the stars, the, the big highlights that you see or people were expecting. What, I think really the Alabama defense just outclassed Cincinnati's offense, which is not unexpected. Yeah, I mean, the Cincinnati offensive line, that was my question all week long and, and kind of nailed both these, and I wish I wouldn't have. But can Cincinnati's offense do anything against that defense? Can their offensive line get anything done? Can Ritter make enough plays, and they just couldn't. Alabama methodically, Cincinnati defense actually made some plays in this thing, and Alabama methodically just kind of wore them down and end up winning, what, 27-6. Georgia-Michigan, my big question was, Michigan doesn't seem to be the type of team that sets up well against Georgia. You want to be able to spread them out and pick on that secondary. Don't mess with what they have up front, and that's Michigan's MO. That's their identity. That's what they are. And then also could Michigan man up defensively? And that was more probably the bigger question for me. I figured offensively it was not a good matchup for them. Defensively, I wanted to see what they could do. And and Georgia was a better team. Not only that, I mean, they really limited. I mean, they, Georgia threw the ball. I thought they were going to take the air out of the ball and let their defense win the game. And, they, they, you know, they would win, you know, 24 to – to 14 or something. Now Bennett made they, some throws. Bennett made some throws. They really exploited the Michigan zone and they really used that big tight end to open up the middle of the field. Yeah. Brock Bowers, and, Brock Bowers and Michael Mayer, man, the two first the round tight ends. Tell you what, a, a really good tight end just opens up an offense at the college level. It does. And the big thing that I thought with Georgia is that they use their running backs via the passing game. I mean, Cook had, I think, over 100 yards receiving. Dalvin's brother, he's a really damn good player, and they, yep. can, they can mix and match with, with him. And then also Zamir White, who actually carried the ball more. But, yeah, I mean, it was about Stetson Bennett making some throws. He's done that before in his career, 
I wouldn't live on it. We'll see if it works against Alabama, but it was a nice little change of pace against Michigan. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I thought Georgia would win because I didn't think Michigan could exploit the defense, but I thought it was going to be a really close, tough game, and it was not. It was 27-3 to at halftime. Georgia blitzed their ass. It wasn't really that competitive. No, it wasn't. Uh, good year for Michigan. Michigan ended up kind of being what I thought they would be. They got a step further than that by beating Ohio State, but they still have a little ways to go, just completely making that 20, the 22 starters, making them as talented as possible. They got a Jabo. They got Daxton Hill. They got, uh, obviously, Aiden Hutchinson. They've got some good guys, but they've just got to step that up a little bit more. And, boy, Xavier Worthy would have helped them this year. Oh, my God. Xavier Worthy would have opened up that team um yeah very interesting to see what's going to happen with Harbaugh uh you know does he want to stick it out there or does he feel like he sort of lived up to his promise look I restored Michigan to prominence uh it's time for me to go to the NFL he's a little bit of a mercenary in that he sort of likes to do the rebuild and move on yeah and um you know Texas fans will not like to hear this Nick Saban actually shares some of that but his opportunity to move on from Alabama was Texas a while ago. And that, that didn't come to fruition for a number of reasons, but uh, Nick's going to retire at Bama obviously now. Yeah. That's going to be the biggest miss football wise of our lifetime as Texas fans. I don't care if we live to be a hundred. You be think no Nick would have done well here? <laughs> what about all the pressure, Kevin? What about Austin? All the distractions? Yeah. No, I mean, Mac and whoever else was involved in that cost Texas three or four championships. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a that's a high probability. Hey, there's still I guess a remaining bowl game. They're going to Kansas State is playing uh LSU. LSU, January yeah. 4th. Yeah. No, I've got I, I've I, got I will not be watching. I've got a degenerate gambling buddy who called me and said, "What do you think about this LSU Kansas State game?" I was you like, "You could just say Brad Kellner." No, no, it's not. Uh, Chris Trampy. So uh, I'll, call, I'll call him out a different way, college buddy. And I said, is it basketball? He goes, no, nah, there's still another football game left. You can tell the de degenerates, like, they, they get upset that football's over with just in a different way with us because they're going to they're gonna need their fix. And at that point, that's where they turn to WNBA, European soccer, and crap like that that they don't know about. No doubt. Actually, speaking of football, there's a game going on right now, high school All-America, the Under Armour game, where there's several Texas recruits who uh, some of these guys really improved themselves and impressed. So everyone thought the Texas offensive line class from 2022 was going to be excellent. It looks like it may even be more excellent than we'd imagine because Kelvin Banks and guys like uh, NATO are turning heads. So, uh, and then De Devon Campbell is supposedly leaning pretty heavily towards Texas. He's going to announce on signing day. So pretty epic class with the University of Texas on the offensive line, which is where they need to build out that infrastructure. Yeah, it, it looks like it's going to be great. I mean, it already is, but Banks, or not Banks, Campbell, as you mentioned, the interior guy, everything's pointing there. So I'm also curious, we talked about it earlier with some of the portal guys, like, Texas has to hit that. I understand there's a risk and that you can end up getting guys and they're in the portal for the for the wrong reason for you, at least, that they're not going to be great football players. But uh, they're going to have to really evaluate that well and try and do what Mich Michigan State did or Oklahoma State or Baylor or some of these teams we've talked about that have used it to their advantage. No question. I, I think – I'm hoping that, obviously, they added – the Ohio State cornerback, the big, tall, lengthy guy. Is it uh, Ryan Watts? Ryan Watts. I, so it's funny you said that. I wanted to get your take on that. He's 6'3", 205, really long. Um, obviously, I'm making the comp and body type and, and skill uh, or, or best usage, not the talent level. But Bobby Taylor. Richard Sherman. Uh, but basically, if you can cover him up and play press man underneath, which, frankly, Pete Kukowski did not do uh, in 2021. That's a guy that can really cause problems. The question is, can he hold up one-on-one -on -one out in space? And we don't know, but he is a talented guy. And, you know, obviously Texas took him for a reason. I think they're really trying to keep their powder dry, particularly on some wide receivers. 
They just added, of course, the Pittsburgh wide receiver, uh, running back coach, I should say. Receiver coach. Uh, receiver coach, Fred and Marion. Yep. And that's supposed to be a good get. Uh, we'll see what impact he can have in the portal because, um, you know, he's got a story to tell. He's an interesting guy. And he's he has, from what I hear, he can potentially be a pretty dynamic recruiter. He's not proven there yet. Part of that was because he was at Pitt. But I think he's going to have a chance to tell a story in the portal. And frankly, if you're a starting wide receiver who wants some spotlight and the opportunity to show yourself, whether you know, you're a stud at Wyoming, UTEP, wherever else, and you could start opposite Xavier Worthy, you're going to catch a bunch of balls and you're going to have some success. So Texas has a good story to tell. Yeah, he had Jordan Addison, who was a Blitnikoff winner, who was dynamic duo with Kenny Pickett. He's got the go-go offense. He was at William & Mary, I believe. And also Howard at Howard, they beat, uh, was it UNLV? It was like with the biggest upset at that time. Like, yep. go, go look at his go-go offense, y'all, online. It, and it's it's different. But I like the fact that you're also getting an offensive mind in there to maybe be able to bounce ideas off of Sark and have as many good offensive minds in there and just minds in general. And then, yeah, the dynamic recruiter part, from everything I've read, that's not going to be a problem. So you just got to make connections. And I think it's a home run hire. Really excited about that. Uh, what about the championship game? You want to get to that next week maybe? Yeah, let's do it next week. I, I mean, look, the, the analysis, the preview is pretty conventional. Alabama whipped their ass because they had enough, enough talent on offense and they had a great game plan to tear apart a pretty simplistic Georgia defense. So the question is, can they duplicate it? And is Kirby Smart going to mix it up a little bit? And if, if, they, if they can, we could have a very interesting game. It could be a very different game. If they can't, then I don't think Bennett as, at quarterback is going to put up enough points for Georgia to get the win. No, which is why I thought all year long they would need a JT Daniels, and it may just be a game or two, or maybe they wouldn't need it. But it was going to be in the game we're talking about here and really have a dynamic passer. I know Stetson Bennett tore up Michigan, but Alabama could be a little bit different. So I think Georgia's a favorite right away in this thing. Yeah, that. It, so I know Mechie is out for Alabama. Yeah, and that's that's impactful. I mean, that that matters, particularly if Georgia is really going to double, you know, the most viable options for Alabama. But you know, Alabama's got some talent in some other areas. <laughs> They're pretty good. Yeah, and so uh, it'll be interesting. You know, I, I I'm I don't really have any dog in the fight, and you know, I don't really. I, I kind of wanted Michigan to upset Georgia, but. You know, that I watched about six minutes of that game and I knew that wasn't going to happen. Yeah, I, I would have loved the upset actually on both of them, but I've got no problem with Georgia winning the whole thing. You know, I know we know Georgia's been more than relevant. Well, they've always been relevant, but they've been what feels like a top four to five program the last, I don't know, six or seven years, but they haven't won a national championship since 1980. I was two. You were like 11. Vince Dooley, right? Vince Dooley, that's it. Oh, uh, man. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting program in that they have the passion, they have the recruits, they have the talent, they have the, the support. It just hasn't happened for them. Yeah, no, they got the bankroll, man. They're, they're, about that. they're all in without a doubt. Hey, if you've got a bankroll or maybe you don't, you need to get in touch with David McClellan. He is uh, our fiduciary financial advisor. He's from Forum Financial. And he's a part of the family. So if you're part of this podcast, meaning you listen to this podcast, get in touch with them and he can help you out. He'll give you a free consultation. All you got to do is mention EGAT and he's going to help you understand your financial freedom number. Maybe some things you could be doing differently to build your wealth and achieve financial freedom faster. He's really smart. He's a good guy. He knows what he's talking about. It's a free consultation. It's well worth your time to go ahead and give him a call and uh, see what he can do for you. He specializes in financial life coaching, also retirement planning. Get in touch with him. Just give him a call. It's 312-933-8823, 312-933-8823, or you can just email him, dmcclellan at formfinfin.com. Absolutely, and if you're in the market for a house, if you're moving and you're somewhere in the Sentex area, from northern San Antonio up to Temple, Texas, and there and everything in between contact Laura Baker. She's great at what she does. The folks that have used her through the podcast have really um, been effusive in their praise for her. you can reach her at 
7840505. That's 5127840505. She is a member of the award-winning Andy Allen team for Keller Williams. Yeah, drop her a line and uh, whether you're in the, the market to sell or to buy, yeah, just get a get a feel of the land. It's it's time for the the new year. Get your mortgage, get your real estate, get your financial advising all in order and uh, you know, Get, it, get some positive momentum for 2022. Heck yeah. Let's get this thing going the right way. And we've got some nice weather. The It, it was cool last night, it, literally and fig- figuratively, but figuratively it was cool. You could, we knew a Yankee was coming in, as we used to call him, right? Uh, yep. a, a northerner. Yeah. And I had a buddy in Dallas who calls me and is like, hey, it, it, it just hit. It dropped. And it dropped from 76 to the I don't know, I think low 40s, maybe upper 30s in about three hours here. I and, love that. And, yeah, you could hear it blowing in, and then you could feel it blowing in. Uh, nothing cooler than weather, huh, Paul? <laughs> yeah. Hey, what time are we going to bed tonight? Hey. What are we having for dinner? When you go into Luby's at 5, you can get a, weather. Get a discount. I was thinking the same uh, thing as I was enjoying it, and I thought, God, I'm getting to that age where I'm getting uh, shits and giggles out of uh, weather. Well, I, I found myself all proud uh, the other day because I'd found I uh, ca- I was looking at the parking lot, and I was like, "Oh, I could take this spot." Oh no, no, no! That guy up there is about oh, to move. Oh yeah, yeah. And so I went up there and got that spot and saved myself about fourteen feet of walking. Right. And uh, I felt real proud of myself, such to the point that I spoke this out loud to my companion, and she was uh, she was just shaking her head like, "Wow." No, one of the biggest signs of aging is stalking a parking spot. Yes, because <laughs> when I, you know, when you're younger, you park in the back of the parking lot, and you know, you just you don't give a crap, and you walk off, and you forgot to lock your car door, or you left your window open, and you stroll into the place, and you know, walk through a puddle. You don't care. And as you get older, you're like, oh, I gotta find, I gotta get the right parking spot. Right. No, it becomes a whole event, becomes a trip. Absolutely. And you just got to uh, you got to try and navigate it the best way you can. Yeah, we're getting older. We're having fun, though, man. Uh, definitely thanks to everyone in 2021. 2022 is here. 2021, couple swings on the way out, though. John Madden and Betty White, please. And, you know, tell you what, John Madden, um, I, if you're our age, I mean, talk about the guy who really broke down the game for us and, and, and sort of spoke at the fan level. Mm-hmm. He wasn't to coach speak, but he would get on that telestrator and show you the game of football and of what was really happening. And, you know, I understand as he got older, he wasn't quite as dynamic and all that. And he probably knew that. that's why he retired. But man, John Madden, his prime was awesome. And he was a very sincere, authentic guy. People don't realize and talk about how the, how the tenor and culture of the Bay area has changed. John Madden's a Bay area guy. Yeah. Cal People Poly, right? That. Cal Poly? Uh, Cal, he went to Cal Poly. He grew up in the Bay Area. He grew up right uh, down the road from San Francisco in, in, in Daly City. And so did John Robinson. They were his, best his friends. Friend. Right. And that was the culture. You know, San Francisco was a blue-collar city. You know, they had – and it was an ethnic city. You know, Irish section. There's an Italian section. And, you know, I know it's it's a different world now. It's, it's like a world apart. But – it was a really interesting, in some ways, blue-collar, kind of rugged place. And John Madden was a product of that place. It's, it's a dying dying age. But, yeah, I, I really credit that guy with making me interested in what was really happening in football. And, you know, talk, you know the first guy who talked about the offensive line, right. talked about cornerbacks. And, you know, it wasn't just all about, you know, filleting the quarterback for, you know, for four quarters, uh, which football has started to get back to. But... Man, Madden and would give out the turkey leg. Like that was, that was a really fun thing growing up. Uh, he really brought a lot of joy to the game, and uh, I'll miss that guy. I will too. John Madden was a part of our childhood. One of the one of the many reasons, but one of the reasons why we love football so much and could relate to people, relate to almost any fan. And he was funny too. You know, he had fun with it. He didn't take it too seriously, but. He would get in, like you said, to kind of some of the nuts and bolts, specifically with the offensive line. And not many people can hit all three different generations. So my dad would know him really as the Oakland coach and the broadcaster, obviously. We know him as the broadcaster in the video game. 
My nephew knows him from the video game. That's hitting all three levels and hitting him pretty hard. Wow. Yeah, that's that's the ubiquitous John Madden. Well, yeah, I'm going to miss him. Um, he, he, he contributed a lot to the game. And people forget, you know, he was not just a colorful guy. People view him as like a Bob Euchre type character. Uh, he's one of the winningest coaches in NFL history. Oh, he's His got to run at the Raiders. The Raiders were always sort of the bridesmaid, but a, a dominant team always sort of finishing second place to the Steelers. And then they, of course, broke through a couple of times. Yeah, he's got the highest winning percentage ever. Yeah, I think that's right. He and does. I think he was one of the youngest head coaches of all time. He was. He was. He was like 33, so he got out pretty early. All right, before, before we get out, you see what People Magazine did with Betty White? No. So People Magazine had a story set up, and I think it's out. I, I, I saw someone picked it up at an airport today. And, of course, like most People Magazine stories, they're going to do it beforehand. But got to be careful with this one. So Betty White agreed to do it. And she was all excited about it that when she was turning 100, that there was going to be, I guess she was about to turn 100, they were going to do Betty White at 100. She's on the the cover and everything. And, of course, she dies. I'm about to say tragically. It's not tragic. She was 99. She dies at 99. And so that one, man, that, that's got to be Dewey-esque. 99 problems. Man, I cannot believe. Yeah, that's the famous headline. Uh, Dewey defeats Truman. That's that's crazy. Isn't oh that man! So well, that that's 99 out. Years is, Ninety-nine years is a pretty good run. That's a great run, and she was loved, and she knew she was loved. So yeah, I mean it. It's sad, but but it's it's not. I saw some people with John Madden saying that this is stunning. I go, well, I mean, apparently he was in bad health. He's eighty-five. It's not stunning. Now the time yeah. the timing is weird. Well, what's crazy to imagine, I mean, Betty White is in her prime during World War II. Yeah. No, she was you're born right. in 1921. Right. And she saw the Great Depression as a child. She's, I mean, a significant part of the Great Depression as a teenager and as a young child. She went through World War II, Korea. She sees the, the shift in the Cold War. I mean, this is a woman who's seen history. I mean, she, you know, as a child, they they barely had automobiles, right? They had the Model T Ford. Yeah, and, right. I mean, pretty I, amazing to think of the span and scope of a century, a near century of life. It uh, is. Pretty, pretty cool. I'll talk to people younger than that and be like, man, just the fact that you were around from 63 to 69 is amazing, you know? Yeah. And and people will do that with us probably uh, at some point and be like, man, you were around for 2001. But the fact that she hit all those things, I was looking at her age and, and thinking the same thing that you were. I just thought, holy shit, she's a walking history book. Well, I mean, it's it's crazy, too. You think about how the culture can shift in the United States on a dime. But the distance between now and the first Persian Gulf War, right? Right. 1990, 91. Yeah. It's 30 years. Yeah. That's the distance between the 1970s and World War II. Yep. Like, that puts some things in context. It really does. I love doing that. I love that you just did that. It's one of the reasons we're probably such good friends. I I, I do that all the time, and that's a perfect one right there. And when you really think about it, you're like, whoa, especially if you were obviously, if you remember the Persian Gulf. That That didn't seem like there'd be that big of a gap. Well, and, and you talked about, I, I'm glad you mentioned 62 to 69 because the huge cultural shift, right? But right. People don't remember when John F. Kennedy was elected president in 60. It was a little bit of a minor scandal that in his inauguration speech, he didn't wear a hat. Mm-hmm. Like what gentleman would go out in weather and not wear a hat? Right. And there was, <laughs> al- there was already a lot of skepticism because he was Irish Catholic. Well, the thought was that the Pope was now in charge of the United States. Yes, sir. That's Kevin's dream. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, hell, it couldn't be any worse than what it's been for for some of my life. Oh, no doubt. But to think about that within a blink of an eye, you have, you know, hippies turn on, tune in, tune out. I mean, what, tune out? Uh, tune all out. that. I mean, yeah. Drug culture, uh, I mean, a complete shift from the Everly Brothers to freaking Led Zeppelin in, yeah. in a decade. I mean, secular it, sex parties, Paul. Yeah, exactly. Oh, which man, I know you're a big fan of. Kevin. 
Uh, all right, man. Uh, always fun. We're at an hour here. We'll talk to y'all next week. Y'all stay warm. It's got nice and cool here in Austin. I'm loving it. It's football weather. I'm about to go watch your boys in the Cardinals. Nice. Well, it's it's 50 degrees and sunny here in San Francisco. It's hitting weather and uh, excited to have another year with you in the podcast. Excited to have our listeners. If you guys haven't done so, go on iTunes. Give us a subscription, a rating, and a review. We'd really appreciate it. It allows us to keep making content for you for free, and uh, we enjoy it. Keep supporting our sponsors as well. Thanks, y'all.